Father, we wish to sit at your feet and learn from you. We know that your Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guide, as a comforter, the one who brings us insight and wisdom. We pray that as we continue to examine Paul in his third missionary journey, that you would bless the information to our minds in our memories. Help us to meditate on it and help us to have its effect, your desired effect in our lives. And as we look at Paul and his faithfulness, we pray that that would be shed upon us as well, that we'd be able to be those disciples that you ask us to be, just as he was faithful. We ask for your help in being faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So Paul's first missionary journey led him to several cities in Asia Minor, Cyprus, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, his second missionary journey. He went to Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Ephesus, and Corinth. And on this third missionary journey, he's going to revisit a lot of those cities, Ephesus, Troas, Philippi, and Corinth. And this is all the area of Turkey and Greece, if you know your geography. Now, I don't know if you had geography in middle school, but I did. And we, Mr. Jones would make us take home maps and we would have to color in the maps and we would have to put the country and we'd have to put the capital. So we were familiar with the other countries in the world, not just our own country. And it, it's good to know what is going on in the world. Uh, and one thing we can be doing with the other countries in the world is... Um, Europe. Uh, There's a mess in Europe. Uh, We know the Ukraine war and what's going on there, a little bit of corruption going on, certainly. But in France right now, there are riots in the streets. And if you just go home, read the news about it, it's all because a thug ended up being killed by the police because he wouldn't comply with their orders and the city's being burned down. We can pray for them. uh, That the French uh, police and the people there would have wisdom uh, to deal with the writings that are going on. And even the French people are rising up and they're taking to the streets with bats and clubs and they're going against the rioters and it's just all breaking loose. So we want to pray for them. But we want to, if, if you know where France is, you're going, well, that's right in the heart of Europe there. You have Germany and Switzerland and all those guys are experiencing that. Well, back in the time of Paul, Greece and in Turkey, that was part of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire ruled with an iron fist, and they would not let anything get out of shape. And so, just as in the time of Paul, you know, they were they were heavy-handed, and we have to pray that the leaders of the world would have wisdom, whether or not they need to be heavy-handed to put this down, or this is the course of things that the Lord has determined, and of course, this will bring about His end time plan. So, on his third missionary journey, Paul ended up meeting two individuals, Aquila and Priscilla, who were Jews that had been expelled from Rome due to Claudius giving an edict that expelled all Jews from that city. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they were business owners who traveled to various cities selling tents that they had made. Paul also was a tent maker and ended up working with Aquila and Priscilla, who were Jews. 
And he worked with them until Silas and Timothy ended up coming back from Macedonia. And once that happened, Paul was able to devote himself full-time to the ministry, giving the gospel. And, of course, as I said last week, he was there for at least a year and a half. Now, in the cities that Paul visited, he would start by bringing the message to the local synagogue. And some of the Jews would believe, some would not believe, some of the God-fearers, which were Greeks that were beholden to the Old Testament teachings of Moses, they were all saying, some believed, some didn't. But he always ran into opposition from the Jews, and so he would start going to the Gentiles. He said, okay, I'm, I'm done with you guys. And that's why he had reached out to the Gentiles. Now, Paul traveled from Corinth to Sancria, from there to Ephesus and to Caesarea, and eventually he ended up back in Antioch in the center of the Christian church. Now, uh, Daryl, if you'd put up his third missionary journey here. <clears throat> if you look at the map there it, where it begins in Antioch, Syria, the green on the right-hand side of the map and he goes up through Galatia and Phrygia and Ephesus and you can see how he goes back around to Greece and Philippi and all the way back down to Rhodes and down into Jerusalem so that's the track that he took this is the third time and it would have been thousands and thousands of miles that it would have encompassed here and of course if you went to Spain that's farther if you're looking at your map it would be to the left of Greece he has to go past Italy and all the way to Spain if he made it that far so Paul definitely was interested in getting that information out now when you're studying the Bible it's a good idea to look up pictures of these areas. If, if you go to Phrygia or Galatia, it, they are unique countries. Uh, Phrygia, I believe the word Phrygia means dry. You go there and it's kind of a dry country there. If you go to Galatia, uh, in the areas of Galatia, there are some cities there. Big Roman cities were constructed. In Ephesus, there was this large library that was there and the ruins that were there. And a lot of these places had stone outcroppings that they would just carve buildings into or dwellings. It would be carved right into the stone that would be their huge amphitheaters. Like when we go to Petra, there's this huge amphitheater that's there. Also at Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Maritima, there's a huge amphitheater. And they just cut it out of the ground. And they're massive structures that are there. It's just interesting and you can kind of get a, a view of what Paul would have encountered when he went to these different cities and just the landscape, get a feel for the landscape. Like if you've ever traveled in the United States or if you've ever been to Utah, if somebody describes the uh, national parks in Utah, you go, oh, that's nice, like Zion and Arches and Angels Landing and all these different places that you can go to. Monument Valley has been in so many westerns that are there. You can kind of relate. You go, oh, yeah, okay. When we go to Israel, you're going to, when we go to these places, you know, that like Caesarea Philippi and, and the explanation of that stuff there, Mount Nebo and, and all the places we're going to go to the Dead Sea. You're going to have that imprinted on your mind and you're going to go, oh, that, that's where David was and Getty right there. And, and you're going to see the natural spring that comes out of there. It, it just helps in your study of the Bible. So whenever you're looking at different places, uh, in the Bible, look them up, get some pictures, find out what the background of those cities 
are. And if you do that, it will enrich your study. So here we have Paul's third missionary journey, which begins in verse 23. It says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Aquila and Priscilla, they would go to the synagogue there in Ephesus. And Apollos came from northern Africa, which is Alexandria. And that's on the, uh, I want to say it's west and a little bit south of Jerusalem, of Israel. So you would head back out towards the Atlantic going through the Mediterranean. And so he comes from Africa. He visits Ephesus. And this guy is a dynamo. He gets in there and he's a Jew and he has a Greek name. And he starts speaking about Jesus Christ. But he had only been informed through the ministry of John the Baptist. He really didn't understand some of the significance of Jesus Christ, which we'll get into. Now, I I want you to take notice here of this progression. First, you have Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle meets Aquila and Priscilla. They were exiled from Rome, being Jews, and they ended up being with Paul in Corinth. And they went to Corinth because they needed to carry on their business. And apparently they had business in several different cities that they would go to uh, being tent makers. Well, Paul, since he did the same thing, ended up working for them. He probably met them in the synagogue or they worked together. I don't know if they were partners or how it worked exactly. But Paul ended up laboring with them, making tents. During that time, Aquila and Priscilla get saved. Imagine working with the Apostle Paul. Do you think he'd hear the gospel? Most certainly you would hear the gospel. If he was in jail, he was giving the gospel. If he's in the synagogue, he's giving the gospel. If he's on the street, he's giving the gospel. That's what he was doing. That was his calling. So Aquila, the husband, he gets saved and so does Priscilla. Now just a fun fact about that. Priscilla is mentioned more times first than Aquila. It's usually Priscilla, then Aquila. Some people think that it's because she was the more devout or more involved in the ministry and maybe Aquila was doing more with the business at that time. But she is mentioned as a woman of faith and there's some things that they did that were just incredible as far as helping Paul and his ministry. So they ended up in Ephesus. So you have Paul. Paul goes to all these different cities. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, which God caused the persecution in Rome where they had to move to Corinth. Paul meets them, disciples them. Then he goes to Ephesus with them and he he doesn't abandon them, but he leaves them there. And then as they're in the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos shows up and they're probably amazed that Apollos is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, because of the ministry of John the Baptist. 
And so they get pretty excited and they go, wow, this guy, he's doing a great job. He's given all the Old Testament scriptures that deal with Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, like Isaiah chapter 53, which I'll end up reading before we receive communion today. And also, uh, uh, what is it? Psalm 22, it deals with Jesus Christ and all the prophecies in the Old Testament that dealt with the coming of Messiah. Maybe Daniel chapter 9 and, and other parts in the book of Daniel. He probably went through all of that. And so Aquila and Priscilla were probably getting hyped inside the synagogue saying, this is great, but he needs to go a little bit farther. There's more information that he needs to know. And of course, there are some more disciples in Acts chapter 19. They only knew the baptism of John. They didn't know the baptism into Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And of course, that gets corrected by Paul, and they end up getting baptized, and they end up being filled with the Spirit, and they prophesy and speak in tongues. All that takes place. So John the Baptist and his ministry had far-reaching effects rather than just being by the River Jordan. So apparently he sent out disciples as well. Apollos, who was in Alexandria, he got this message message that the Messiah would come. And so you have Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla. Then you have Apollos, and they instruct him more in the way. What is this called? This is called discipleship. Paul had Jesus. He learned from Jesus. I'm sure, well, Jesus appeared to Paul, and he got what he knew from Jesus Christ directly. He did not get it from the other apostles. So Jesus selected Paul. Paul helped Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla helped Apollos. Apollos helped the people in the church. And from that point, we are here today as a result of that discipling that had taken place. So apparently... He did not understand the significance, Apollos, speaking of him, of Christ's death and resurrection. He probably didn't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, specifically the gifts and the mystery of the church containing both the Jews and the Gentiles. Because he went to synagogue. He was a Jew. He went to the synagogue. And so Aquila and Priscilla brought him up to snuff, explained everything to him, the significance of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his promise to return again. All of that stuff they filled him in on. And like I said, he became a real dynamo. Now, the discipleships, discipleship is an ongoing process of influencing people. You have to ask yourself, who have you been influencing? Who have you been talking to, maybe once or twice or maybe on a regular basis, to bring them along in becoming a disciple? You have heard me mention before, I have always felt it is important to get somebody who is more mature than you and listen to them, maybe several people. If you can have a relationship with them, that's even better. But also grab somebody who is a new believer and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. I believe this is the job of every single Christian, not just your family members, but people outside your family, the acquaintances that you have, the friends. They all need to know that you are a believer and even sometimes strangers. Um, Patty and I will go out and she knows that I'll, I'll talk to just about anybody. Uh, and I'll just strike up a conversation. She doesn't feel as comfortable doing that. She's okay if I'm there and she's right there with me and I'm talking to a stranger and we just carry on a conversation, that's all right. 
But a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that, just going up to a stranger and talking to them. But it can be one of the most rewarding things you have ever done, especially if it gets on the topic of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to pray about doing that. Now, if you want to be a true disciple, you must, and I say this in the imperative sense, you must have fellowship. You cannot be a disciple without fellowship. It is impossible to grow in your faith without it. Uh, Lord was gracious to me and many of you, somebody came along in your life and discipled you or you had several people at a proper time come along and strengthened you in your faith. Now, I'll give a little personal testimony. For me, it was a guy on the radio that I got saved with. I didn't know anybody. I had a wrestling coach that he gave somebody a Bible and it perked my interest for, I don't know what reason, but it perked my interest. The guy he gave the Bible to took me over to Faith Chapel. Okay, that's great. Now, he's not a believer, but he took me there. After that, I ended up at uh, Calvary Chapel San Diego, uh, Pastor Mike McIntosh Horizon, but I was also working as a waiter. And God brought uh, a brother in the Lord, little older than me in the Lord, to work at the restaurant. And he was encouraging me. And he, he would kind of tell me what I need to look forward to and the problems that are out there. And we would have several conversations in the break room. And <clears throat> he would come and talk to me. We were both young. I think I was uh, 21 at that time and he would talk to me about this girl that he really liked and he, he came up to me and he goes bill i'm in lust and i said what what you're in lust what are you talking about he goes yeah you know love develops over time but right now i look at her and i have this strong desire just to be with her and that's what lust means is a strong desire and so he explained that to me I'm going, oh, it's not love at first sight. It's lust at first sight is what it is. And he explained that. And he would encourage me in my walk with the Lord. And then he was gone. And then I met two other people that moved out here from Illinois. And they discipled me. I'd meet with him. His name was Jeff. And I would run around Benita Golf Course with him in the morning. And we'd talk. And I'd go to his Bible study. And Patty ended up going with me to the Bible study. I'd met her at that time. And I was able to be discipled. Then we went to home Bible study and was able to be discipled there and just grew because both of us, Patty and I, we remain consistent and just seeking after the Lord and being in fellowship. The people that fell away, the people that stopped going, they were not able to grow in the Lord. And of course, many pitfalls would come their way, uh, certainly by the enemy. So that is why I strongly encourage everyone to go to a Bible study, to have personal study where you can bounce doctrine and truth off of other believers. You want to test the waters. If you hear something, you want to go to the Bible study or the person that is discipling you and say, well, what about this? And you have to believe me, over 32 years of ministry, there have been so many doctrines that have gone through the church and and people trying to figure out, is this right? Is this something we should believe in? Is this something we should adhere to? Or is this something that we should shun and really speak against? To give an example of this, this last week I had a couple of instances. Somebody sent me a sermon and they said, 
could you please listen to this and give me your critique afterwards? And so the next day or two, I was having problems getting it. I contacted them and said, I, I need to have another avenue to get this. It was on Apple, iTunes, or whatever it was. I, I don't know. <clears throat> but I was ended, ended up able to get it on YouTube. And so I started listening to it. And at the beginning, it sounded, okay, this sounds okay. And then it just started to veer off. And it so much so that it became difficult to listen to. I'm listening to it and I'm working outside at the same time. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bending over doing stuff and I, he says something like, what? Yeah, I'm saying this to myself as I'm like, what is this guy talking about? And one of the things he was saying is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, it gives us a picture of what a church service is supposed to be like. And he goes on to say, Nowhere in scripture does the order of a church service come up that this is how we're supposed to do it. And he said, this is the one place that it says this is how a church service is supposed to operate. Now, if you have most Christian church services, Protestant church services, it starts out with a prayer and then it goes to worship. And if there's an offering received that is, quote unquote, Taken, that's a bad word. We're going to take tithes and offerings. It's something that is received in the church. And sometimes there's an offertory song. And then there's a reading of announcements, bulletins, maybe a scripture reading or some type of encouragement. Then you go from there to the message. And once the message is done, sometimes you have communion, sometimes you don't. Then there's a benediction, then there's a closing song. And God bless you. Have a great week in Christ, that type of thing. This way we do it here is the way most protestant christian churches do it it's not spelled out like that in scripture and so this guy was making the case that this came along in the sixth century the way that we do church and it's not supposed to be like that and specifically he said there's not supposed to be one person who is a leader inside the church and i I thought wait ephesians chapter four what apostles prophets uh, evangelists pastors and teachers and i'm thinking what did he do with that particular passage and elders and deacons inside the church, there is a hierarchy that is inside the church that the church is supposed to operate with. And he goes on to say, now if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, everybody was able to say something if they wanted to. Have you ever been in a meeting where everybody gets to say something? It's kind of funny what this guy was saying, not funny in a hilarious way, but funny like in a strange way. I went to a pastor's conference before Pastor Chuck died and uh, somebody was thinking they should pass out some of these new emergent church books and how we should look at church in the future. And they said, the church in the future is going to look like this. It's going to be more like the fellowship hall with round tables. And you'll go sit at the table and you'll talk to each other and nobody's going to be in charge or facilitate the study. You're just going to start talking And that's what church is going to look like. And there's not going to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon over any of that. And you're just going to come to a conclusion about scripture. How easy is it to get off with scripture? It is so easy to do that. And people start saying, well, you know, the spirit is working in my heart bearing testimony to what we should be doing here. But if the scripture says, no, I wouldn't recommend you go that way. Matter of fact, there's prohibition against going that way. Well, this guy was going off in that direction. And finally, during the message, he's giving the message. He's leading the group, and it's at a seminar. 
but he's acting in a pastoral role. And I'm thinking, you're saying there should not be a leader, but here you are a leader and you're leading everybody in this message. And then at the end of it, he kind of lets a couple of people speak and you go, well, that was weird, the things that they would say. But that's what he was promoting. Also, during that particular study, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it reads, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, I will ask you, what are the creeping things? Insects? Snakes? Critters that crawl, scorpions, whatever it is, we would have dominion over those things. He said, the creeping things are the enemy. I look at the passage again, I go, where does it say that creeping things are the enemy? Like Satan, creeping things are Satan. I'm going, what? You know, I take off my headphones and I think for a second, stop it, I think for a second, Okay, this is clearly wrong. And I pulled out, a, I went and got a piece of paper and I started writing down all my objections to what he had to say. Probably had eight or ten different things on there. And I'm just going, this guy is way off. I text back the person who sent it to me and I said, run, Forrest, run. Just, just get out of whatever this guy is teaching. It's just wrong doctrine. And apparently he didn't bounce it off anybody. And by his own admission, he said that we're several times that it just led to chaos you think it would lead to chaos and and that's what he was talking about <clears throat> so the chapters 12 to 14 of first corinthians the clue you let text interpret the text or scripture interpret scripture if you go to first corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 it says in clear english and it's also in the greek now about spiritual gifts. And 12 to 14 deals with the operation of spiritual gifts in the church. Clearly, the services that were going on dealt with spiritual gifts, but there was teaching. We'll get to it, you know, how Paul taught. He taught probably in a monotone voice. He was a small guy. His, his name means little. That's what his name means. <clears throat> but a small guy, uninteresting, uh, at least that's what it says in Second Corinthians. You know, his words are weighty, but you look at him and he's nothing. And a kid fell asleep and the upper story fell out, broke his neck, died, and he raised him from the dead, that type of thing. So that Paul was teaching, and he would teach for hours. You know, I, I spend about, what, 40, 50 minutes sometimes teaching. He would do it for hours just keep on teaching. Uh, you go to places like Uganda, they'll sit there for as long as you'll teach. It could be eight hours. They'll sit there and they'll listen to what's going on. Uh, sometimes we go, you know, I got to go to the store and get those hot dogs for the barbecue that's coming up next Tuesday. And, it's, you know, it's, is he done yet? You know, oh, he forgot for communion and now we're going to be here another 10 minutes. I, communion we get impatient like that because we are the now generated we have to have it now and we should develop even me i get that way i get impatient we should develop a sense of self-control and just be able to say okay i'm going to be patient because maybe the lord wants to teach me this something either through the teaching or why i'm being delayed whatever the case might be 
I had another instance this week. <laughs> now, there used to be a church over here at the old Bank of America over by the fitness center that used to be Safeway over there. And that church over there was a cult. It is a cult. It's called Faith Mountain. They don't believe in the Trinity. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you are a cult. If you don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that there are three persons in the Trinity and the Son is not the Father and the Son is not the Spirit and the Spirit is not the Son, the Spirit is not the Father and the Father is not the Spirit and the Father is not the Son. But they are all God. If you don't believe that, you believe in a different Jesus and you're not saved. In the youth, I just went through the Trinity again. I gave them an outline of all these characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God and all the things that he does. And a force doesn't have that or, you know, the force that emanates from the Father. That's not the way Scripture teaches about God. And so I had a youth that uh, called me up. He previously attended uh, with us for a few years. And he called me up and he goes, hey, I got a guy here. He texts me. I got a guy here that goes to Faith Mountain. What is it they don't believe? And so I told him again, this is what they don't believe. They're oneness Pentecostals. And, and so he was able to come back to me. Now, he has other avenues as well that he goes to, and he checks these things out to hone the doctrine, what he believes. You can't do that unless you know somebody. You can't know somebody unless you're involved, unless you're in fellowship, unless you're doing your own study. And it's easy to get off in your own study. Uh, you've heard me mention this one before when we were over at the Blockbuster Shopping Center, which is now Dollar Tree over there. There would be guys going through the church with just crazy doctrines that we needed to move to Mount Cuyamaca and get machine gun permits because Y2K was going to kill us all. Uh, that was one guy. And another guy was going through the body and he would say, that men should not wear hats and women need to have long hair. And another guy in a Bible study, women can't speak in the Bible study. And he left the Bible study. And, and then we dealt with the Rodney Howard Brown and Toronto blessing and roaring across the stage on all fours, a woman roaring like a lion, like the lion of Judah. And you're just going, what is wrong with these people? That's not what scripture says. There are so many false doctrines which are out there now. The one that we have now is the inclusivity, uh, the trans agenda and accepting of everybody. That is also a false doctrine. If you go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, because of the sexual immorality, God says that's why his wrath is coming. And the first one in the list that is there is sexual immorality. And so if that is being approved of and promoted in churches, it is a false doctrine. And we want to hold to doctrine that is correct, that is righteous, that is true, that is pure, that is sanctified and set apart. And so that's why we have to be involved in a fellowship, being discipled, able to ask questions. And the questions normally come up because we are involved in our own particular study. Now, I, I, I had a, a, another instance this last week, somebody in the youth group. <clears throat> and a very passionate individual uh, that was in there. He he was. We I was talking to them about 
the era in which they live and what they're going to be facing. Because as I said before, several of them are getting ready to leave and I'm giving them different things to be aware of and what to prepare for, how their faith might come under attack and how they may come under attack in the next 10 years. We just don't know how the world is going to turn during that time. And this individual said, well, I'm going to be more specific. He, he was dealing with somebody that he knew that was encouraging somebody else to get involved in the LGBT community. And he said he hated it. And it got into the trans, the issue of the trans movement. And he started becoming even more vocal, uh, expressing how he wanted to get into the flesh and do some damage. And I said, now we don't want to do that. I encouraged him that this idea we don't repay evil for evil and we want to love our enemies and we want to show them the truth this is what we're supposed to do and then he felt at that time he goes you know I get off on these tangents and I just I want to do something wrong and I ended up doing something wrong and I don't want to do what's wrong and at that particular time that he's explaining this I, I begin to smile not smirk but smile a little bit I turn back and I, Patty's next to me. I turn back and I look at Patty. She smiles at me and she goes, Romans 7. <laughs> yeah, Romans 7. So I open up to Romans 7 because he's struggling with not doing what he doesn't want to do and doing what he should do. And of course, Paul talked about this. I think you're familiar with it. I'll just read it to you. It's Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. It says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And when I started to read this to him, you know, he's having to go, well, I don't even know if I'm saved because I keep doing these things that I know I shouldn't do. And the the path of discipleship from where he started, I turned to the other youth that were in there. I said, do you remember when he started here? And they go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And and how he's dressed and the knife that he'd bring and the lighters and the language. And I, it was just like, whoa, over the top. And now it's like, I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to do what's right. And I said, you're in good company. We're all there. That's where you lean on the grace of God. Now, if, and I explained to him that if... You fall into a sin and everybody sins. There is no one righteous, no not one, no one who does good at any time. We are all under a curse, but God says, as long as you trust in me to save you, it's okay. And then you go and you confess your sins. First John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I said, you cling to the grace of God. The problem comes in is somebody who claims to be a Christian and approves of that kind of sin and encourages others in it that person and I explained to him according to 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 that person is deceived into believing that it is okay and God accepts them when they say love is love it is a lie love is not love according to the definition of the world so 
that's what I explained to him. And, and just this week, all of these things have transpired except for that, which I told you about over at Block, Blockbuster Shopping Center. So we all struggle with sin, and that is what I told him. And we will not be free from this until we receive new bodies and new natures. And until we cling to the grace of God, we will never understand that fully and will always be under a cloud of condemnation. That's why we need the fellowship. Because if you go and share your burdens with one another, a person will come along who is filled with the Spirit and will explain to you, it's all right, you just keep on walking the walk. A righteous man falls seven times and seven times he gets back up. It doesn't mean you're limited to seven times. That's kind of like a colloquialism that it could be 700 times you will fall and 700 times you will get back up or 7,000 times you will fall and 7,000 times you'll get back up because God and Jesus Christ is able to make you stand. So that's why discipleship is so important. If you're out of fellowship, if you're out of discipleship, if you're not doing your own study, you are not motivated. You don't get to hear the stories. You don't get to hear the testimonies of what everybody goes through and how they dealt with the problems that they encountered and how they dealt with the sin that was in their own lives. Now, I do want to say this. This young man, he, he wanted to do something to stop the evil but he wasn't quite sure how to do it. Now, we're supposed to deal with evil. We're supposed to stand up against it. We're supposed to proclaim God's standard. We don't necessarily have to give the address, the chapter and verse and everything like that, but we want to make everyone aware so that we may act and stand up for the truth. There's something that's going on in the lakeside here that I want to make you aware of. Uh, that is going to transpire on July 28th. It is going to be a acting group that's coming in, and they are groomers. Is who they are, and they're going to come to the Lakeside Library July 28th. Now, you want to put that website up there, Daryl? Now, the first one here that I want to show you, not that one, the other one, to go to the other one first. Okay, now go to the calendar, go down. Oh, there it is. Now you see this diversionary theater presents improv. And what does it say there? It says, trying to be brave, join us as we conquer our fears with a professional arts educator in the dynamic, inclusive, and welcoming environment. Doesn't that sound great? Now, who are the diversionary theater people? These are the people teen visionary and you scroll down a little bit it says uh, wait go back to the other one i'm sorry an acting ensemble for the lgbtqia plus and allied teenagers 18 to 19 reserve your tickets for one of the free performances go ahead scroll up a little bit uh open five nights a week and so what they do is they promote they go to different venues and they promote the lgbtqia plus agenda and at this particular event parents are not allowed and it is for sixth grade to twelfth grade they're going to be doing this at the library and patty it's a lock-in it's a lock-in so they're going to be there overnight and if a child leaves, they're allowed to leave, but they cannot re-enter. They're coming right here 
to the new library to indoctrinate the kids in Lakeside. I would invite you to stop in the library or contact the friends of the library in Lakeside and voice your opposition. Now, don't scream at them. Don't go in there with a bat and say, we're taking care of this. But voice your opinion. Say, we don't want this in the community here. And do all you can in a vocal fashion and explain to them, this is not good. This is a moral behavior. And, and if they start saying, you know, silence is violence and that there are more suicides if you go against this, uh, if you don't promote the transgender uh, agenda and the mutilation of children, that is a lie. The, uh, I just heard a statistic the other day when Gavin Newsom was being interviewed on the street that those who go through a transition like this, they are 19% more likely than the already aggravated statistic of committing suicide uh, because of the transition. And there are several, a huge percentage of detransitioners going on, and they can't believe how, as a uh, teenager, they would have allowed this to take place. And it is a scourge in our society, and we know that the Lord is against it, just like Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. So these are times where we want to stand up and we want to say, no, this is wrong. Now, if you do that, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you think you'll encounter opposition? You will. I can remember going into the library in Chula Vista when I was in school, and there was a bunch of magazines up there, and one of them was Mother and Jones, and there was outright male nudity in one of the inside of one of the uh, magazines. I was a Christian at that time, and I'm just looking what the opposition felt, and I took it to the front desk. And I said, you know, this ought not to be out here. Any kid can go up to these magazines and just start opening them up. And they said, well, but that's suppression. Uh, what, what's the word for it where they... Um, there's another word. Censorship is what they said. We're not into censorship. And I said, this has nothing to do with censorship. This has to do with purity and preserving the innocence of children. And they wouldn't remove it. Uh, I didn't steal it. I didn't tear it up. Um, but, you know, I, I gave it to them to keep behind the counter. I don't know what they did. And so this is the era in which we live. And you have to make a choice whether or not you are going to stand up and say, you know, this is wrong, we should not be doing this, or you're not going to say anything because of the opposition that might ensue. And we want to make sure we're being those disciples. So discipleship is simply getting to know Jesus better, doing his will, and avoiding evil, and that process never ceases. It just continues. We never stop. We never arrive and say, I'm there. I don't have to do this anymore being a disciple. I don't have to train anymore. Because as you get older, how many sins do you have increased as you get older? Uh, how many times have you sinned more since you were a believer? Uh, you know, as we get older, we have more opportunity to sin. And we do. And the sins just increase. That's why we need to remain in fellowship. And that's how we are strengthened. Now, just a few more things here. I'm running out of time. Apollos is an interesting name. <clears throat> it was given because of the god Apollo. And Apollo was the god of divine distance. The god who made mortals aware of their own guilt and purified them of it. 
And he presided over religious law. That was the god Apollo. Now, Apollos, who had this name, was one who would come in and convince people of their guilt. That's what he did. So I think he was appropriately named. But as I said before, if you look at the pictures of some of the places that are being referred to in Scripture, one other thing you want to do is also look at the names and look at what the names mean. Like Emperor Claudius, you'd think it'd be some magnanimous definition. It means lame or limp. That's what Claudius means. And he was a lame guy for kicking out all the Jews from Rome. Aquila. Aquila means an eagle. And Priscilla means ancient. And Gallio, or Galio, the uh, uh, proconsul that said, Get out of here. I'm not going to deal with you guys. And they ended up beating up Sosthenes because they got in front of um, Galio and, and he just threw them out of the court. Remember that? I talked about that last week. His name means one who lives on milk. And Dulcis Galio means sweet Galio, means his disposition was sweet and he was universally loved by the people. And so it describes who he was. And Silas, now Silas, if you had to guess what his name means, his name means Woody. Uh, and if you think of Woody, Woody's a tall, slender guy. You think, well, maybe Silas was a tall, slender guy. It can also mean forest, something like that. Timothy, honoring God. Paul, small or little. Uh, Achaia, trouble. Sosthenes, savior of his nation. Syria, exalted. Ephesus, permitted. Sencria, millet, which means they probably grew millet there, which is a feed for uh, animals. Caesarea, Caesarea, where you get the name Caesar, but you also get the meaning Caesarean, and it means severed. That's what Caesarea means. <clears throat> Phrygia, dry or barren. And, and so Paul went to Phrygia, which is dry or barren. I looked at pictures of Phrygia, and it's kind of dry, except in the winter. It's kind of like here. But you get a more full view of the people and the places by the names and the topography or the geography of the areas. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. Now, verse 27 says, When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, I'm going to end it here, and uh, next week we'll go on to the strengthening of the disciples. How did Apollos exactly do that, or how should we do that? But on, on this particular study, I just really want you to go away thinking discipleship, how important it is, and putting shoe leather to your faith, not just simply believing what Scripture has to say and never acting on that or never being a doer of the Word. I want to encourage you guys in this. And it can be, uh, for some, it can be nerve-wracking, whether talking to strangers, whether confronting evil, whether encouraging somebody, if you're not a people person, you know, bringing the them some type of encouragement or exhortation it can be difficult in doing so but to do all of that for the outside you have to prepare the inside 
You have to be involved in study. You have to be involved in, quote, unquote, the umbrella discipleship. You want to have fellowship. You want to make sure you're involved in prayer, paying attention to what the Spirit has to say. So what we're going to do at this time is Kim is going to come up, and she is going to <clears throat> sing a song that the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to pass out the communion. I think we're done with the covid uh, and I don't think there's a pandemic that we have to worry about. And I'm sure they've washed their hands sometime today. Uh, but they're going to pass out these dishes. And uh, you just pass it down the aisle as we used to do. If you guys remember, we start at the center aisle. We pass them back. And you can go around if somebody doesn't pick it up and pass it down the other way. That's okay. And then I want you to hold on to it <clears throat> until we can participate in receiving communion together. And they'll lower the lights here. And as Kim is uh, singing, I just want you to give thanks to God. Give thanks to God that he called you to salvation, that you're remembering the death, burial, and resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and all that that means for you. And just with a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude, I would pray that you would do that. So go ahead, Kim.